you're tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Welcome to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate. Live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, I'm your host, Kim Bryden. I've been a district resident for 12 years now, and I founded my firm, Curate, a little over three years ago with the mission of providing access to knowledge and new business opportunities so that small businesses can survive and thrive. So do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we'll talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting a small business in the D.C. and Baltimore metro areas with featured guests and chat about new tips and trends in the food and beverage industry. And if you want more beyond the podcast, well, The Tidbit is inspired by a biweekly newsletter that we send out at Curate. You can subscribe to learn more about what we're reading, eating, drinking, and learning go to curateconnect.com and sign up in the footer. That's curate, C-U-R-E-A-T-E, connect.com. So to elaborate a little bit more on the newsletter format around what we're reading, eating, drinking, and learning, at the top of the show, I chat about one of these topics, and then we bring in a guest to dive in even further. So on the last episode, we chatted about what we're eating and certain trends in the food industry that we see emerging today. So I've decided that right now, what I want to talk about is what I'm learning. And when I say what I'm learning, I actually do mean lessons that I am reteaching myself. And wow, does that totally ring true today? I mean... Let's start with this fact. I am a millennial through and through. And what I've been thinking about is that largely the millennial generation has been marked by points of uncertainty um, at each stage of growth. So from 9-11 to the financial collapse to now trying to at least uh, settle down, whatever that means, start a family, save up financially during a very uncertain um, and somewhat chaotic, somewhat, that's an understatement, presidential rule. And so, you know, adding to this like macro level turmoil and uncertainty, I've decided to start a business on top of that. And yeah, I I was listening to um, Planet Money the other day and a guest commented that the quit rate is really low right now, which which is actually bad. Um, people are less likely to quit their jobs. And, and actually, you want people to feel confident enough in the economy to quit. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so when there is this macro level uncertainty on top of personal uncertainty, that's a lot to deal with. And I think we can all agree that we, you know, at least in here in the district, it may be even um, emphasized even more because we are at this epicenter of local, national, and global conversation. And 
you know, one of the most important points I want to emphasize around, especially if you want to start a business, is are these mental mind games that you need to play with yourself? <laughs> you know, you are your, you, you're your own boss, which is amazing. And being your own boss comes with phenomenal um, perks, like scheduling your day, uh, showing up where you want to show up, um, you know, all of those factors of flexibility, of time, of types of projects you want to work on, those are all fantastic. But you also are the only person you are letting down when you don't meet your own expectations. And and that mental mind game is is really hard and something that you really need to consider if you decide to embark on this path of starting your own business. So this is why I'm particularly thrilled to share uh, this week's tidbit from Quartz on what I'm learning and continue <laughs> to learn and practice. Uh, it's a piece titled Adam Grant's Simple Trick for Actually Enjoying Your Success. And yeah, I know it's very <laughs> clickbaity, the headline, but hear me out. Um, organizational psychologist Adam Grant suggests that in the moment when your head is spiraling into a, I could have done more, that person's better than me, etc., just stop. Stop and think about time travel. Yeah, yeah, time travel. Turn back the clock five years, and would the you of five years ago even begin to dream the life that you're leading now? I mean, you have grown so much and you will continue to grow and it's really a state of mind the blog brain pickings does a great job job of explaining growth mindset and and to understand growth you first need to understand the contrasting type of mindset which is a fixed mindset and so a fixed mindset assumes that your character, your intelligence, and creative ability are static, that you, you were born that way. And success is an affirmation of your intelligence. And striving for success, for success and avoiding failure at all costs becomes a way of maintaining that sense of being smart or skilled. And that's very dangerous. Um, and, and I'll explain why it's dangerous by pointing out the opposite, which is a growth mindset. And a growth mindset thrives on challenge and sees failure not as evidence of unintelligence, but as a heartening springboard for growth and stretching our existing abilities. That's a powerful reframe and a powerful shift of thought that every single time you have an opportunity whether you, quote, succeed or fail, it doesn't matter because it's a learning experience. And no matter what, you can take lessons gleaned from that. So in this age of uncertainty, the literal only thing you can reliably count on is change. And if you do decide to start your own business or if you already are running your own business, take comfort in the fact that by going through this process, this journey, you are developing or will develop this agile growth mindset. Each day you're adapting, you're iterating, you're changing, you're evolving. And this skill set will undoubtedly continue to help you well into the future. So if you're interested in learning more about 
growth mindset or any of the other uh, articles that we mentioned um, here, we always post show notes uh, over on our blog. It's curate.co slash blog. That's C-U-R-E-A-T-E dot co slash blog. And after the break, we are going to sit down with the board chair of Think Local First, which is a locally founded and local focused nonprofit here in the District of Columbia. Board Chair Raj Agarwal joins us um, and we'll talk more about his strategies for living out growth mindset through his work on very long-term systemic change and how he's focused both with his own firm, Provoke, on um, this particular mission set and Think Local First mission of how do we create a path to racial and social equity through small business. So join us after the break and we'll dive in deeper. Today's break song is called Don't Go. It's by Kido, K-I-E-D-O. Find more of his music at soundcloud.com backslash Kido. We'll be right back on the tidbit. the tidbit the tidbit is a podcast for us to explore how to start a small business in the dc and baltimore metro areas so if you run a small business or have dreams of starting one we've got your back and we're going to talk to our featured guest today raj board chair of think local first about uh how he's seen the small business community grow and evolve over the past oh my gosh raj it's been more than almost more than two decades now you've been in this community seeing it evolve into what it is today uh good morning kim nice to be here welcome Uh, thank you uh actually i'm a native washingtonian so i've been watching the city grow and evolve since uh i was born and (laughs) you know what's interesting is yeah i was at an event uh yesterday where you know 
a lot of what I knew about the city was the massive homicide rate that we learned about on the news during the 80s and how much it's transformed, obviously, since that point in time to uh, becoming the vibrant city that we all are witnessing before our very eyes. Yeah, and powerful. Uh, I just want to start off by discussing this quote because I think it will frame a lot of our discussion today. Um, and particularly this moment in time we're living now. And the quote is, sometimes when things are falling apart, they may actually be falling into place. And we're in this big systems level shift right now. So I know you have so many thoughts around this particular moment in time as it relates to your work. So elaborate a little bit more on that. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to take that to a little bit of a personal level first that I've found when my life has completely fallen, fallen apart, in hindsight, it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So when I think about something that's happening on a national level, considering the outcome of the 2016 election, I at first obviously was pretty dismayed by it, but I've come to believe that uh, it was a wake-up call that we all needed. And for the fact that we're here in Washington, D.C., the best benefit is that there's this national rhetoric around what DC is, how it's a swamp, um, how nothing really gets done here. And I don't know about you, Kim, but I maybe spend 10% of my week thinking about what's happening on a national level just to kind of keep myself in tune with what the rest of the world is looking at. And I think I'm as involved uh, on what's happening in that way um, as the same as anybody who lives in any city. Because here in D.C., we, we have things going on here. We're at this amazing place, the Line Hotel. Our good friend Morgan West helped to make this happen, and I get to see her like creation manifested. I'm completely blown away by it. And I think it's just really... Uh, somebody, ta- somebody told me that the best thing about what... One of the best things that's happening about the way that our government is being run today is that it's really bringing everything back to the reliance on the self And so let's also bring it back to the reliance on our communities and how there are innovative solutions happening all over the country that have nothing to do with the national government. They have nothing to do with local government as much as I love working with them. But it has to do with people like you who are coming up with things like Curate Connect that we've been able to partner on Mm -hmm. and other things that innovative solutions happening everywhere. Uh, And it's those solutions um, as part uh, that I'm really aware of are part of a network that... um, I've been involved with called the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, Bali. I love that. And for 17 years, they've been thinking about, well, what are these innovations that are happening in communities to create these strong, resilient local economies? And local economies don't mean that we don't bring in anything from the outside, but we first look inwards to what we can create on our own, and then we look outside to think how those can fortify it. And I think about economic development in general. I think economic development for the long time has been like, we're going to let these big businesses come in. They're going to solve all of our problems. Um, Everything is going to be great. Well, we have 20-some years, maybe 40 years of data at this point that none of that is true. So again, when I think about, again, from the more macro of what the national government is doing versus what's happening on the local level, it's really about resiliency. And to bring it back to your original point, which has to do with when things fall apart, they actually come together. I think that the greatest thing that I've learned from my own challenges in life and from what I've seen from people around me is that when things fall apart, we develop if we're able to and we have support structures around us, which I think the business community here in D.C. really represents, um, is you develop resiliency. 
And as a result of that, it's even better. In fact, um, Andy Shalal, who's one of our co-founders and is a dear friend of mine, uh, he owns Busboys and Poets. And where is Busboys and Poets? Oh, well, it's all over D.C., you know? Amazing. Yeah, and so uh, he's one of the most sought-after, I think, uh, restaurateurs in, in the city. And obviously, he's, it's a strong, there's a strong social mission to what he's doing. Um, and, of course, I mean, there's a whole history there. Maybe you could have him on the show, so oh, I don't yeah. have to talk about it right <laughs> away. But... He talks about he'd love for us to do a conference on failure. Mm. And I don't think as businesses we're able to talk enough about that because it's all about how we did things. Or, you know, last night I happened to see this interview between uh, President Obama and David Letterman on his new show on Netflix. And he talked about um, the fact is that, we're, that, that when, when things do work out, we're lucky. Right. You know, this has nothing to do with how smart I was. And I hear so many people in the technology industry and other people thinking about that, you know, how smart they are. And there is an aspect of luck to this whole thing um, that I think. Timing. Yep, absolutely. At the top of the show, we discussed fixed versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think you're absolutely right in bringing all of this full circle to say, by having a growth mindset, you're able to see both opportunities and failures as a springboard to learn something from it. So it's not, if you fail, that's it. It's, it's no measure of your intelligence or character. It's just another way for you to adapt and be resilient. It's so sad to know that that's how it's associated. And I think like, you know, or schooling or uh, the way parenting is done, um, so much of it is related to what you just described. Yeah, outcomes oriented as opposed to, you know, did you win that soccer game? Did you get that A? Mm-hmm. As opposed to learning the process or thriving in the process. Yeah. Well, I want to circle back to one of the points you made around um, our economic development strategy and how it's sort of been mimicked across cities nationwide that typically the strategy is have a larger business come into a city to sort of um, revive or, or spark job creation and job growth. And I want us to sort of unpack that a little bit more because it seems to me that when that does happen, the jobs that are created aren't always the jobs people want and uh, that there's so much vibrancy happening on the ground already. What we could do if we sort of infused more capital, more resources into the things that already exist in our communities. And this isn't something just in D.C., it is nationwide. So your work with Bali, again, that's the business alliance for... Local living economies. I love that. So yeah, more about this national rhetoric, but then this national movement that is happening in a very boots-on-the-ground, groundswell, local economy way. Can you talk more about that? You know, when it comes to economic development, I think that it's such a hard nut to crack that, of course, some idea of some cookie cutter or some big splash is what's going to be the easiest to consider. You know, I even think about Amazon, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. But I think that... Let's get into it now. (laughs) Yeah, why should we rethink this whole HQ2 thing? Well, in my opinion, that um, I think we should just look at Seattle. Mm. Uh, and talk about the social issues that they're having, uh, the wealth disparity, 
Um, and, you know, are the type of people that are, are drawn to work in a place like Amazon, the kind of people that are really going to contribute to our local economy. So mm. I've just, there's just a lot of research out there about how uh, having such huge organization like Amazon in Seattle has caused huge problems. So if we're going to do it, we need to be able to address all those issues. Yeah. And I just don't think that we're able to do that in one quick swoop when we're going to have over 50,000 people possibly move here. Yeah, it's no silver bullet solution. Yeah, and it's also like what happens when a big wave comes in, like you're gonna, you know, stand there and try to hold up the wave or it's going to come down crashing on you. And then you're going to figure it out like 10 or 20 years later, and you feel figure out later on that maybe it wasn't a good idea in the first place. So Mm. yes, well, you know, we we are sitting here with Raj of the board chair of Think Local First and your firm Provoke. And a lot of the work that you've done over the years is around creating a path to racial and social equity and specifically around small business development and how we transition our money back into these businesses to provide that redistribution of wealth um, to communities who have been disenfranchised previously or historically. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I really want us to dive into that and our strategies for how we're going to uh, carve a path for a more racial and social equitable future. More keto on the break. Again, K-I-E-D-O. Brooklyn-based producer, New York. We'll be right back. On the tidbit, and we are sitting down with Raj Agarwal, the board chair of Think Local First, a nonprofit that was founded here in the district and focuses on promoting and advocating our small and local business community. Um, Raj, hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, as you know, um, my firm Curate, we, our entire mission is to be able to provide access to knowledge and new business opportunities so small businesses can survive and thrive. And one of the components to Curate is we have a platform called Curate Connect. And it's, the entire goal is to make it as easy as possible for large business and institutional buyers to purchase from small businesses. And right now, about 57% of our community are women-owned businesses, and 38% are people of color-owned businesses. And I know it's very much a core value of mine and of yours to bring a racial and social equity lens to our work. So why do you think it's so important that we spend our dollars, spend the dollars, put the money back into uh, locally owned and operated businesses, and especially the business owners who have historically been more dis- disenfranchised. For every $100 that we spend at a local business, uh, $68 of it recirculates within the local economy. For every $100 you spend at a local store, only $32 recirculates within the local economy. Uh, local businesses are more likely to hire people from their own communities. Mm. 
those people are more likely to have higher wages than people that work at chain stores. Those people are more likely to uh, give back to the community in the form of charity. They're more likely to pay local taxes. Uh, local ownership means more money actually comes back to the district government versus going out to the holding company that they might have in Delaware or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, for every $10 million in sales, uh, local business has 110 employees. For every uh, $10 million in sales, every chain store has 50 employees. And for every $10 million in sales, Amazon has 10 employees. So if we go back to the earlier question about, you know, why is economic development the way that it is, it's going to take a lot more work to figure out, well, what do all these little individual snowflake businesses need to get them off the ground? But the thing is, once they're off the ground, they're really resilient and they're able to do a lot. So when we started our organization with Andy Shalal and with Nizam Ali and with Gina Schaefer, they were all had Who one. Who are Nizam and Gina? So Nizam Ali is uh, part of the uh, ben Ali family. They started Ben's Chili Bowl back in the 50s. And then uh, Gina Schaefer is uh, owns is a former board chair, and she owns the Ace Hardware stores, Logan Hardware, Glover Park Hardware. Uh, she owns 11 of them between D.C. and Baltimore. They were all like maybe had one or two shops at the time. And as a result of being a part of this community of Think Local First, uh, they really attribute uh, at least part of their success to being a part of this community because mm-hmm. they're around other like-minded entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. him you and I are both entrepreneurs and we think very differently than most other people mm-hmm. and being around people that are like ourselves allows us to uh, at, at, you know tackle problems um, and think about things in a way that I guess normal people don't if we want to put ourselves in another category but the economic development front the fact is that um, there is a, there's a there's a number of black and brown businesses here in the district that are not getting the resources that they need, and I sometimes think about different programs that are out there. If those could go to these black and brown businesses, we could actually see the wealth disparity that we see in the city uh, transform. Uh, for example, there was a recent report with the Urban Institute and the Greater Washington Community Foundation that said the net worth of uh, of a black owned fam of a black family versus a white family is 81 times difference in the district in the district of columbia wow and so people are being displaced at a record amount um, there's an attitude that th- the city is just getting more expensive you need to get used to it versus really thinking about retention and what we can do to make sure that there are a number of businesses that stay in business that pass on down to their families that maybe become co-ops and share ownership with their other members of their community because all of those folks are inherently tied to DC when it comes to a big chain um, for example Sam's Club just closed 65 stores I, I don't want to talk about oh. it. so they just closed 65 stores because they quote unquote didn't calculate the amount of growth that they expected in those areas and at the same time Walmart which is part of the same corporation decided to increase their wages for to higher wages and something to to do to paid to to family leave which I wonder where they got the money from Uh, closing all those stores and increasing e-commerce exactly and so uh, and they some of those stores are going to stay open to do to be distribution centers well I'm sure everybody wants a distribution center in their community versus like you know a place where they can come to uh, and hang out and meet their friends yeah we need third places all the time we need a ton of third places and you know Constantine over at the Trist Open City Diner and the 
uh, the Coop, um, he which are all restaurants here in the Adams Morgan right and coffee shops, yeah. right? So they he introduced me. The name of his corporation is called Third Place. Fascinating, right? So he's always had that as a as a concept, and he's had that since the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it. I mean, it is so important that we recognize as consumers where we're putting our dollars, and I think it's only going to become more and more of a. Uh, a staple of our culture for people to talk about where they've put their money. You know, maybe you're buying a commodity good paper towels on Amazon, but other purchases, uh, that transparency of how you're buying and, and who you're empowering with your dollar. Um, I, I just, I believe that it, we're only just seeing the beginnings of it. And the fact is that in 2044, America will be a majority people of color nation. Um, yet there are enormous inequities that people of color face in health, wealth, employment opportunities, and so on. And because so, of our systemic policies. Exactly. Yeah. And if we don't create economic value and advance racial equity by reconceiving products and markets for the fact of how our country is changing, mm-hmm. uh, most of those businesses are going to lose out. So there is a huge opportunity to do that. And the first thing, that's the hardest thing to do is, in order for business to be able to address these communities, is to really take a look inside is, how are you made up? What is, your, what is your organizational structure? How is this product going to appeal to this market? And the fact is that so many of us are out of sorts when it comes to thinking about racial equity that we don't even know where to start. Uh, and the fact is that so many of us, including myself, even though I'm brown, have contributed to systemic inequities that I benefit from on a regular basis because I have my own sense of privilege. But how are you going to have those conversations with business owners? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think one of the main things we need to really emphasize is that if we are going to create intergenerational wealth for families, especially families of color, there there are three primary ways, at least in my opinion, that that happens. You own land, you start a business, um, and you hope that it grows and succeeds. And the third is job mobility. And if the the last is harder to come by based on, um, you know, maybe you leave a job and you start you start at another, but maybe your percentage increase in your salary actually isn't that much. So if job mobility isn't something we can always bank on, and if owning land is becoming increasingly hard, then I've put my eggs in the basket on entrepreneurship because I just I and I. You're the same way. You know, we fundamentally believe we can we can be uh, the change agents. And, and what we need now is for everyone with their dollars to show up and be that community support for the people who have taken the risk and want to build this intergenerational wealth for themselves and their, their current and future families. Yeah, the... The businesses that uh, that really have focused on um, addressing these issues are the ones that are really ex- uh, excelling. So I'm part of another organization or a movement or community called Benefit Corporations, mm. and B, or known as B Corps, and they've been around since 2007 at this point. Uh, we Provoke became a B Corp in 2008, and now there's over 2,200 of them around the country. So they're the ones that you know about, which are like Patagonia or Method, Etsy. or Generation, or Etsy, any mm-hmm. of these folks. And the fact is that they are doing really good because, as you said in one of your original points, is people are voting with their dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's recently been an opening of a new shop here in D.C. called Shop Made in D.C., which is 
sources all locally sourced products. It's located in DuPont. Located in DuPont. Right across from the metro. And we had, a, from what I heard from the from the store owner, Stacy Price, who was our former executive director, she says that they were getting almost 500 people a day before the holidays because so many people were swamping to that place. But again, there are people, the place, it, you're probably going to find things there in some cases that might be more expensive than what you might find at a chain store. But people are willing to buy it because they're connected to the person that made it. Mm-hmm. They know that it's making an impact in the community. and They're paying fair wages. You know, there's an entire, they may be composting or sourcing secondhand uh, produce. You know, there's a ton of other reasons why someone may spend more on a product because of that values and mission alignment. Yeah, which I think is, you know, just really interesting when we come to the Walmart phenomena, right? People have chosen to do that because they only have a certain amount of money Mm -hmm. and therefore they need to use it in a certain way versus by increasing the minimum wage, by thinking about living, not even living wages, but thriving wages, Mm -hmm. people spend more money. Uh, and as a result, they're able to buy things that maybe they wouldn't be able to afford because they're putting it right back in the economy and the economy is coming right back to support them. Right. So where that's where the $68 of $100 are circulated back. Exactly. So as we close, Raj, are there any sort of final points around community resiliency or the redistribution of wealth back into local businesses or growth mindset that you want to share? The thing that I was going to say earlier that I forgot was I see business ownership and just entrepreneurial thinking as a path to freedom. Mm. Um, and I, uh, for so many people that are just, you know, in, in these tough situations. So I think it's um, the more that we can train people to either think that they can start their businesses and then giving them the resources to do it, or even thinking entrepreneurially so that they can bring that concept into the work that they're doing so the work can constantly innovate. An entrepreneur. Absolutely. 100%. And did you know we're trying out this new thing on the Tidbit podcast? We're going to feature three different entrepreneurs uh, from D.C. and Baltimore, Um, And they're going to pitch their project idea to our audience. And we're asking the community to get on our Patreon page and donate even as small as $10. Um, And then if you do put in any sort of dollar amount, you get to vote on which project gets that funds. Well, count me in for a hundred bucks. Thank you. Oh my gosh. So you guys heard it here. Uh, We want you to go over to our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the tidbit. Um, And in February, those will be the entrepreneur spotlights. So check it out. Keep staying tuned into the tidbit. And until next time, we want you to remember to scale thoughtfully as a business owner. And if you are a consumer or big business, source locally. And we can help you do it. Till next time. And the theme song this week by a producer named Franklin out here in D.C. A little track called Nas. This has been the tidbit. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio. Broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, 
and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.